Welcome to the Ontario Outdoor Pursuit Podcast. This Ontario-generated podcast is here to talk outdoor living, fishing, and hunting. Give all kinds of geeky tech talks and hunting tips with things that have worked for us. We all have a story to tell, and here's ours. Welcome back, everyone. Ontario Outdoor Pursuit. This week, I'm joined by a very special guest and someone who had reached out to me kind of at the, the perfect time. Um, we're in that kind of summertime lull if you're if you're not really into the fishing game or um, and hunting season is upon us. It's getting there. And this person has reached out to me in regards to some outfitting, some some spending time traveling, spending your money in Canada. And he's a wealth of knowledge with what he does. He's been doing it quite some time. And without further ado, I would like to welcome Mike from Mike's Outfitting from Alberta. Mike, how are you doing? Great. How are you, Cam? I am doing excellent. So, uh, Mike, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, I, I did mention that you're from Alberta, but you uh, you have your own guiding out west? Yeah, I have my own uh, guiding outfit here that uh, I had since my own outfit since uh 1992 and then i guided but i guided before that since about 1987 since i was like 19 years old i'm 53 years old now and it's, and, a, it, it's obviously a passion as much as as it is a job oh yeah it, it's really the only thing i ever could have done in life i tried to do other things but i could never get my mind off of hunting I, uh, so I, uh, hunted ever since I was a little kid, started when I was like 12 years old with my dad got me into bull hunting. And then I just, by the time I was 14, I was completely hooked and that's all I wanted to do and think about other than a little bit of fishing or backpacking in the off season. And then, um, once I got old enough, I, I started guiding. You could start guiding when I was 18. I started, I couldn't get a job at first and as soon as I got a guiding job, then I was trying to guide once I got out of high school and started going to college and started guiding spring bear hunts before, after college. And then I started guiding up in the Northwest Territories, doing dull sheep hunts uh, with a bow up there, flying old style backpack, super cub uh, flying sheep hunts. And then eventually I started my own outfit in Alberta and just uh, finished my college degree and handed the degree to my parents and went, okay, <laughs> can I go do what I want to do now? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, can, I can say that, uh, you know, working as we were speaking offline there, um, you know, doing plumbing, I, I find myself often with a, a set of headphones in listening to podcasts about hunting or on breaks looking at the instagram posts everyone hiking the mountains during elk season or doing all their bear uh bear camp prep work and it's it's definitely something i could dream of to be doing for a living i could tell you that yeah oh that's a great way i've been really fortunate and blessed to be able to do it and i'm an avid bow hunter myself that's what i love to do and i love the challenge of of going after older age class uh, trophy animals you know but with that being said we always eat all the meat I grew up on eating moose and deer and elk and my dad 
dad was really into it for that. He, he just loved the outdoors and being out there. But when we took any animal, you know, we took not only all the meat, we'd take half the organ meat too and be eating hearts and liver and, and everything too. So that, I grew up on that. But that That's definitely, I would like to get into that more of that myself. And it's not something I've really dabbled in too much. Um, how did you kind of get into that? Was it just you wanted to make most use of the game? Well, my mom's British, so a lot of the British uh, do eat. They all have like they all have kidney, liver, so they they eat that anyways, right? Right. So my mom met my dad when she was like thirty years old, came to Canada, and then he was in the hunting and fishing, and so it just was. My dad, I don't know if he was already taking that stuff, but he was like, yeah, you know, my mom was like, yeah, take the kidneys, take the liver, take the heart. And so she'd mix it in with other meat. And sometimes we liked it, sometimes we didn't. I didn't think it was odd at all to do that. I mean, even even on a grouse, my dad would always take the gizzard from the grouse. And he always hated if we breasted out a grouse. He always wanted us to take all the legs and the gizzard and even the little tiny heart on it, you know. Right. And it, but it, if you mix that all in with the food, then it adds great uh, different flavor to it too. You know, where a lot of people um, just get so used to eating the meat. Where I think people before, when they relied so much on the animal, they ate all the organs because it gave different flavors and textures. They'd eat the lungs, and the native people here, here they do the moose tongue and the nose and everything. That's totally interesting. I, uh, tongue's definitely one I've wanted to try. Yeah, well, yeah. So it's it's neat that way. So I've yeah. always grown up, but it was never. I, I just ate it, you know. I, now it's sort of a feature thing where people they need to uh, show that they're doing that. I'm like, well, I always did that. I just <laughs> we always ate. We never ate red meat. It's like, why do I need to put a picture of what uh, what, what meat I'm eating from this deer? You know, I'm thrilled because of the challenge of getting this big old animal and. Well, of course I ate it. Yeah. Who doesn't eat it? <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, I mean, I'm not, you've been doing this as long as I've been alive, but I can, I could say times have maybe changed a little. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, for sure it has. And I mean, even like we guide, you know, in my guiding, I take American, before all this COVID happened and the borders got closed, it was all taking American hunters, like 95% Americans. And even almost all of those guys, they want to take their meat, and especially if they're coming for an animal that, um, like a moose or an elk, I have people drive from all over the U.S. They come from Louisiana and Texas and Southern California, and it's a big deal to get their moose, and a lot of them want to get it the first day or two, so they can we can get it to the butcher, they can hang it for a few days, and get it all properly cut, wrapped, frozen, and take it all the way home. They'll spend an extra week just in driving time to make sure they get that moose back. And it could be a little paddle horn bull, 30 inches wide, and they're thrilled with that. And, you know, they've paid $8,000 U.S. funds for that hunt. Yeah. So it's great. that It's the whole experience of it all. It's the adventure of it all. It's so important to so many hunters, you know. Yep. No, I, I can relate. I can definitely respect that. Um, what kind of hunts are you offering with uh, your outfitting right now? Well, since the borders closed now, I'm in a position where we were booked full for two, three years ahead. I had 
into 2023, you know, at, at pretty high prices, especially for a Canadian. I've just always offered all my hunts in, in U.S. funds prices. Right. So Canadians, it's always bothered a lot of Canadians. They felt like, geez, why can't you give me the price in Canadian funds? Yeah. But in our system here, we have I get a limited quota of, of tags for every species that we take. And so it's basically just a free open market. I put my prices out there. They're all in U.S. funds just because most of my customers are from the U.S. Love to have Canadians here, but the prices are so high. Yeah. So for most Canadians, they've been, man, I just can't pay those prices. Love to do a hunt out west. I just can't do it, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. So now it's... Uh, fortunate for a lot of Canadians, especially someone like from Ontario, where I'm basically just discounting a lot of these hunts, somewhat in survival for our whole business, because the border's so closed that, you know, I'm willing to make some really good deals for guys, and I mean, like a moose hunt that was, now I sell for 8,500 U.S. funds, I'm selling for 6,000 Canadian funds, even $5,000 if there's two guys coming together. If there was a group of more guys, I would I, I maybe even do it a little cheaper. Or if it's a bull hunt, or, you know, I'll, I'll work with guys too as to their how their situation is. So I'm for sure willing to wheel and deal. And I think most guys, most outfitters in Canada are willing to do that, and they're sure happy for any Canadian that's willing to spend some money with. Right. Them. Right. Um, so. You do uh, moose, elk, bear, mule deer. Is there any that I'm missing in there? And whitetails? Yep. So, yeah, the elk and the elk, I do elk. I don't get a lot of uh, elk outfitter tags from the government, even though um, there's a lot of elk here and our Alberta residents are on unlimited tags. They give us a limited number. So my elk tags, and there's such a demand for elk out east, that my elk tags right now are all sold out. Okay. I, I even have some Alberta guys coming to hunt with us just because they want to go with a guide and go with someone that really knows how to hunt the elk. Right, right. And, which is actually kind of funny in a way because I think my top three guides are all out of Ontario. Yeah, you so, mentioned They've all come to me actually from Ontario, having no elk hunting experience, and then came out guiding for me. And I showed them how to hunt elk. And because you guys in Ontario have such great bush hunting experience where you're calling turkeys, hunting in the woods, trying to get deer, and a lot of it is challenging uh, deer to get, those, those guys have made great um hunters really good woodsmen and it wasn't hard for them to catch on how to hunt elk right right so that's been great so i but so the elk's kind of sold out so i do have a moose tags moose hunts open yeah and i mean here as opposed to ontario my understanding like you buy a hunt with me you get a tag for you you buy a bull tag can't shoot a cow and we hunt farmland it's in the northern uh, quite a boreal forest that's been a lot of it's been changed to farmland okay. we have okay. loads of moose i remember you were saying you went on a hunt for a week or something and, and you didn't even see many moose yeah 
yeah, we had a cow tag and uh, only came across a couple bulls uh, in the last day. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, here, the, it's kind of weird because the moose will be feeding out in the farmland. And we'll have days, we'll see, we could see 20, 30 moose just driving around our pickup looking at them out in the farm fields. That's crazy. And I've had days, I think, uh, my record is I've seen 44 moose in one hay field at one time. Wow. And there was 12 bulls in that bunch. That's unreal. And then I've seen over 100 moose in a single day. That's incredible. People would be happy to see, I think, uh, just double digits throughout their whole season here in Ontario. And maybe that is the case for some, but, I mean, it's certainly not mine. In those numbers, that was a few years ago, and they've dropped down now. But, but still, seeing 10 or 20 moose in a day is not a big deal. If we only saw 15, 20 moose, you know, cows, calves, bulls, counting them all, if we only saw 15 moose and five bulls in a week, that would be a tough hunt for us. Really? Okay. For sure. So there's lots of moose around, and not really big ones. It's really rare to kill a bull that's even over 45 inches, yep. or especially over 50. You know, I guess we have killed quite a few in that 45 to 48 inches, but trying to get over 50 is tough. So it's more of a hunt just to get a moose, go home with all the meat. Yep. And then, um, and with our mule deer hunts, they're, they're great too. It's more of a a trophy mule deer hunt. But again, when I say trophy, all the meat gets used, even if you don't want the deer meat because you have it at home. We use the deer meat. We have local people, lower income people that love to get the meat, and we, we donate it to Hutterite colonies too. They oh, use that's all awesome. Too. Yeah. So, and the mule deer, there's some, it's all managed for older age class mule deer. My zone has like 1,200 square mile zone, and there's about three estimated population of 3,000 mule deer, and there's a, like a hundred buck tags in the zone for residents, and then 10 outfitter tags. So it's it's well managed. You have a great chance to to take a big mule deer, and I'm selling those hunts for same sort of price, five or six thousand dollars for a good big trophy mule deer compared to paying. You know, eight or eight to ten thousand dollars U.S. funds. Right. Hunt. And now, are these um, are these bow hunts or are these rifle hunts? We actually we do both. Our archery yep. season is August twenty fifth to September sixteenth. Yeah. And then our and then our rifle season opens September seventeenth, and we do some uh, mule deer hunts right out of the gate there, and that can be a fantastic hunt where the the muley bucks are feeding in the fields we've been scouting them beginning middle of august trying to get them all season with a bow and then boom we can off we can get those bucks right out of the gate in september and this year i don't know what it's been like for you guys i've heard it's been really hot out there very but here has been total opposite it's been uh lots of rain and cool temperatures and the crops got in late so they're going to stay in the fields late and that's when we get some of our biggest mule deer and and it helps the the animals on the long haul too there's so much to eat there's no burnt off crops and so it, it should be a great year for that september hunt and then we do the mule deer right into november same with the moose because there's so moose so many moose around they feed in the farm fields we do 
just as good on shooting bull moose in November as we do in the peak of the rut. Right. Yeah, it's right now it's not uncommon for us to be seeing uh, 30-plus degrees Celsius uh, on the daily. I think we've had it as high as 39 so far this year. Wow. Yeah, and very, very humid. Um, this morning I went to work. The, the truck said 22 degrees, and I couldn't see just about anything with all the fog um, for my whole 30-minute drive to work. And I think it, by the time I had got to work, my truck said 27 degrees. So just that that such rapid temperature fluctuation is it, it's been very good for the people that i've seen been uh putting in food plots um in their local hunting properties and it's been great for crops crops are doing exceptionally well at this time of year so far this year um but as far as I, we're concerned i don't think anyone has been been enjoying this <laughs> oh for us it's highs of 20 to 25 celsius and quite a bit of rain some days don't even get to 20 and that's pretty common for our september too is temperatures like that so it's it's nice hunting temperatures then too and the only the only bugs we have is mosquitoes we don't have black flies where i am here at all so that that's always nice that there's no black flies there's no ticks so we can go out all in the summer and hike all around in the woods and i don't the only thing i have to deal with is the mosquitoes that's it that's a selling feature on its own right there not having the ticks <laughs> yeah i don't have there's moose ticks here but we really don't get deer ticks really oh yeah it's not an issue with lyme disease or you don't have to wait for cooler temperatures or anything like that that's right yeah um, Another one people were wondering about too, because there's been some talk. People saying, "Well, I don't think you can travel from Ontario out west." Yep. Yeah. But one of my guides from Ontario, he he works at a dairy farm. His family has that in southern Ontario, and yeah, he he traveled out in uh, April all the way here, uh, no problems. And then he went into BC on a little holiday and had no problems and. Went, his parents drove out again in June, and then he, they all went drove back again in June, and they were out here with Ontario plates, and really? they had a great, great time. Yeah, no, they didn't hit check stops or anything along the way. Yeah, and they were back there, and now he just actually drove back out again last week from Ontario and had no issues. That's awesome. I got to start making this trip myself. <laughs> yeah, um, it would be so. Great what to are have you here? What are you selling the whitetail hunts for? The whitetail hunts, I'm I'm asking thirty five hundred dollars. If it's a couple guys, be three thousand dollars. Those hunts are normally five thousand US. And the whitetails, I mean, we have some really big whitetails. I'll I'll get trail camera pictures of one eighty plus gross score deer. And, and they get killed in our zone every single year, even the odd one that will go over 200. Wow. But they, they're not easy to get. Yes. It, it, it takes a lot of dedicate, takes a lot of scouting on my part, proper stand setting, and I only do them as a rifle hunt because of the, uh, the difficulty in them and because our rifle season starts this September 17th and goes right to the end of November. So there's no sort of dedicated archery season yeah in the in the rut yes. so i i do them as a rifle hunt and it's basically all day sits in a scouted out area daylight till dark you gotta stay on the ball there's no bait allowed no salt 
So you, you are basically, I'm just trying to pattern these deer, their movements on sort of travel corridors, scrapes, and then they'll cross these little open lines that go through the woods. You just call them these seismic cut lines. Mm-hmm. They're big straight lines and pipelines. And we'll set up on those, and the deer come across those. So, I mean, you could truly shoot the deer of a lifetime. I have trail camera pictures of, I, I had, I, I think, four deer that were over 180, one that was touching on 200 last year, and I had probably 12 or 15 that were solidly 145 plus in deer. That's, those are great deer. Yeah, just lots of nighttime movement, and they'll stay in nighttime right until that rut comes on, and then the beginning of November, and so I run those whitetail hunts just purely in November. Um, I, I just want to mention to the listeners, Mike, uh, I, I mean, I've been on your Instagram and your social socials pages. Um, what is your Instagram handle? Mike's outfitting. Okay. And it is phenomenal. There's a lot of awesome pictures of adventures. Um, Mike and his crew taking care of all the equipment and all their prep work, which, um, a lot of us are kind of in the mix of doing right now. And we love to see, um, and as well as some totally trophy animals that that they've been able to harvest so um my advice would be to go and check them out on instagram for sure um do you do you offer a bear hunt as well mike we do a spring bear hunt okay i I mean i do i never gave it too much thought as far as fall tags but i do have fall tags i could add those to some of the hunts too you know i haven't done that so far but that's another possibility just as a sort of probably a spot and stock feature yep we the spring bear hunting here is so good then that i I run like 30 bear hunters and we pretty much stick to there i run six guys a week for five weeks and we we take a lot of really good bears big skulls big bodies you know and then in the fall who knows how big some of those bears might be yeah Um, and then but a lot of them do go kind of nocturnal in the fall. They are tougher to shoot, those big ones. And even to bait in, because we have so much farmland crop here, Yeah. then the the bears are much tougher to bait in in the fall. So I, I've tried it a few years, and Interesting. I, it hasn't gone well. We're better to just do it as a spot and stock around oak fields, that kind of thing. Okay, well, that's good to know. Um, now, now, with these prices, Mike, uh, I, I would imagine that a lot of people just immediately think that okay, well, that's an expensive hunt, but what is it that you are paying for in that hunt? What do these hunts include as far as your uh, facilities, um, your dining, um, any sort of travel? I guess that would be the best place to start is um, how do you get to these hunts? Are they flying? Are they, can you drive to your facility? Yeah, no, great points there because yeah, I I, I know a lot of hunts you can go on that might only be a thousand, two thousand dollars. So what I'm saying is, seems like a great price to me. Is seems it, it is still very expensive for a lot of people. And on ours, part of ours is you have to have a guide for every two hunters. So it's fully guided that way. And for us, it's easy to get here. You can you fly to Grand Prairie, Alberta, eventually, or you could fly say to Edmonton, and then just do. Uh, it's a it is a five hour drive from Edmonton, but sometimes there's better. Uh, bag like less restrictive bag bag limits to fly stuff home out of Edmonton so some guys like to do that so you fly to Edmonton or Grand Prairie and then ours is a lodge based hunt and 
cook here and we have just two people in each bedroom and a couple of shared hallway bathrooms so it's got all the meals accommodations and then we have all the equipment we provide the truck the four-wheelers the big part of it is you have a really skilled guy that, that knows the area has scouted things out and you have the best chance of really getting a nice animal within a week's time yep so these are seven day hunts is that correct yeah generally you get about six or six and a half days of hunting on the on these hunts so it's it's enough time to get it done even if there's some bad weather days and you know none of it's flying and part of it that's great it, when it's a lodge-based hunt where we're hunting out of uh from the lodge and, and going in uh, vehicles is that we can go to a different place every morning, every evening, as opposed to, say, people love to, say, be flown into an area and land there or take horses in and set up a tent. But the problem in those is you're just pounding the same areas over and over. Right. We're here. Here we can go hunt some area hard and then drive back, be at the house back for lunch, have a nice lunch and a nap, and drive 20 miles over to another spot. Yeah. And in our area, we can hunt all of the public land, my zones are about a quarter of them are public land, and there's some great hunting on that. You just get to know the places better than other people. And actually, the public land sometimes can have a lot less hunters than some of the private land spots because people just don't know how to hunt those big bush areas. They don't know where to go, how to hunt them. They seem kind of featureless and and just all woods and they just don't even know how to deal with them where they're more comfortable in a farmland setting trying to ambush animals coming back and forth to crops and farmers here they just we just go ask permission we can't pay anybody to hunt on their land and then we just ask permission and they just tell us yes or no and probably 80 percent of the guys say yep just go ahead so it's, it's a great system you know i think most of canada is like that where you just you don't pay for access unlike in the states yeah, we're uh, we're pretty good for that here in Ontario. I know there is, and I won't mention any names, uh, a couple of uh, outfits that do pay for certain things uh, for mostly land access. Um, so that's okay. a little unfortunate, and it, it kind of you know d- defeats some of the other good hunters in the area, uh, even some of my friends that, that used to make it out that way. Um, so that's unfortunate, but, it, I mean, it is what it is, really. We can't... Uh, not much we can really do on that aspect. Yeah, it's really unheard of here. You know, no one, no one pays for access. No one, I don't have exclusive access anywhere, and no one, no one pays for it. Everybody, I guess, probably because it's not such a limited resource like it is in some places. The hunting's good. There's enough for everybody, so we just go and ask, and just go by the same rules as everybody else on it. So okay. it, it really works well that way. Um just before we had started this, Mike, you had mentioned a few other areas of knowledge that you've been hunting. Did you want to touch on some of those and share some of those stories? Yeah, like there's other friends of mine that run outfits in um, in other parts of Alberta that um, they they have hunts too. And I guided, like to jump back, I, I guided all over Alberta where I was kind of figuring out where I wanted to set up my own outfit. And Alberta's pretty diverse if, for anyone who's never been here. Is, you know, we have the prairie region of the, the southern Alberta, which is almost desert-like. 
just grassland area and it's good for mule deer and antelope and I used to guide down there and I, I know some outfitters in that area um, and then a lot of people go to the mountains to hunt and a lot of people get the impression that's the best place to go where you know it's the most scenic and beautiful and that must be where all the animals are and, and there is some good hunting in that but a lot of the best hunting is actually out in the farmland and that's where we are is kind of in the northern northern boreal forest right before it's all big woods to the north of us okay and then i i also guided in uh northern bc used to own an area there for over 10 years and those were fly-in or really long tough hike-ins where we did hunts for goat moose caribou and uh, i know some outfitters out there that are also offering hunts in those areas and you know they really vary in how difficult they are to get into and and i believe bc is letting people in there's no restrictions on that and then i used to guide the all sheep hunts in the northwest territories unfortunately northwest territories i think has it all shut down no one's allowed in there unless you do a 14-day quarantine or you're an essential worker or uh the yukon is also running they're allowing i believe they're allowing hunt some hunters into those places and, and those guys are also offering some good deals. You know, and you'll see those on Instagram or Facebook too. Or yep. If if they want to reach out to me and that, I can maybe point them in the right direction for some of those other animals or other species too. Yeah, that that brings me to another uh, good point. Is uh, where does you know if, if amongst hearing it from this podcast, where can someone begin to uh, book something with you guys? Well, you know, if you take a look on that on my Instagram stuff or on my Facebook on there, and then kind of just just reach out to me through there, or you can even just text me on my phone number. Um, I can give that out if you, you think I should. Or yeah, I will. I I will put that in my post as well. Um, once I upload this, Mike, and then all that contact info will be there for everyone's viewing. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, on my Instagram, like you said, lots of good uh, stuff on there, and, and then they can message me through there and just kind of work out the prices on everything, and I can get everybody set up with a with a great hunt, I think, you know, something to kind of fit their needs. A lot of our hunts are, you don't need to be in physically great shape. Our elk hunts are probably the most physically demanding hunt we have just because we rely on hiking and calling for the elk, putting on the miles. And something like our moose is, is much less physically demanding. Have you have you hunted elk, Cam? Or? No, I've never hunted elk. It's uh, it, it's definitely been on my bucket list. That and doll sheep are just two that I, I, I continuously watch YouTube videos on. I dream about them. <laughs> um, so it's in the years to come for sure. Uh, you know what? I would definitely say my shooting skills with a bow are beyond what they are with any of my um, my guns. Uh, that being said, I have heard that dull sheet with a bow is a very hard hunt. Not that any hunting really for that matter is easy, but um, bow hunt, dull sheep would be my dream hunt, yes. Yeah, 
I guided those for like half a dozen years, you know, like I said, and, yep. and we actually had a pretty good success rate on them. You know, it's surprising how well you can do if you, you just have enough time on it and you stick to your bow and just say, I'm not going to shoot one with a rifle. Yeah. And yeah, we, we did well on those and we would, we would land in a super cub down in the valley. We'd usually fly around, spot some sheep, land in a super cub down in a valley and then hike up. Might take a day or two or three to hike up to the place and then all backpack hunt from there and stay on top of the mountain. That's incredible. And then a lot of the, and then when we got something, I mean, we would just hike back out, wait on the airstrip because in those days we never had, we never had radios. There was no in-reach, there was no radio, so we just got dropped off one day and told, well, if I see you back on the airstrip, um, I'll come pick you up, or I'll pick you up uh, 12 or 14 days from now. So good luck, hope you don't get eaten by a grizzly bear or get lost. (laughs) Yeah, that would be something. (laughs) (laughs) But now on the dull sheet, like it. Yeah, the Northwest Territories, they can use a helicopter there. So it's a huge help where they'll, it's like a helicopter assisted hunt like they would do in, say, New Zealand sort of thing. Yeah. And then they'll land right on the top, set up your camp, and then you can just go hunt sheep from there. And it cuts out that whole one or two, three day walk to get in. Yeah, that's part of your, uh, part of your trip right there, essentially. Yeah, and the Northwest Territory is a little more expensive than, say, the, the Yukon, and certainly a lot more expensive than Alaska for the doll sheep, okay. because the Yukon, you can't use a helicopter, but it's huge guiding territories where if you can get into some of these faraway places, you do have a chance for maybe even a bigger sheep than you would get in the Northwest Territories. Mm-hmm. And then Alaska... I think Alaska, for the most part, it's either small or just barely legal rams, or you pay in blood, sweat, and tears in very difficult places, <laughs> glaciated valleys and all that. And you, you, instead of paying the big money, you pay it in your physical ability to get into those places. That's, uh, I think, something that you also take with you for the rest of your days is an experience like that. For sure, yeah. Um, but yeah... The, the elk hunt, the elk hunt's great, and that's lots. Of, it, it's physical. It's a really physical hunt too. Uh, you were talking about uh, food earlier and harvesting. Um, let's put a scenario together where someone from Ontario is coming out to hunt with you guys. How can they get their meat back home? Yeah, it does present a, a bit of a like. It does present a bit of a challenge, or it's a bit of an unknown for me in that. Most of my people, that if they say, hey, I want to take all the meat, I will recommend them, hey, if you have the time, if you can in any way do it, drive out here, get the animal. We have a great butcher basically on speed dial, and he gets that thing processed as quickly as he can, cut, wrapped, frozen, and take it home. That's the semi-easiest but time-consuming way to do it. Otherwise, you, you can fly and take as much as you can as checked baggage home, either in, you know, taking cuts off the animal or in getting it again to a butcher and get it cut, wrapped, and frozen and, and sent back with you on your on your flight home. And um, normally to the States, you really, there's no good way to ship meat to the States because you 
got to go through the border. There's permits involved. It's very difficult, and I've given up trying to do that. But I had an experienced hunter from Ontario who was coming out on a hunt here. He's done hunts all over B.C., and he said he's been able to ship it right out of Edmonton uh, in cargo. Okay. So he said he's going to come and fill up big coolers there. He can fill coolers and weigh up to 100 pounds, and he can ship them right out of Edmonton. So that's why I say for some guys it's uh, worth it for them to fly to Edmonton, rent a vehicle, drive up to our place, even if they return the vehicle in Grand Prairie, and then uh, get a vehicle to go back and ship it in cargo out of Edmonton. So he told me it's totally doable. I do. I should say, too, I have another guy. He's going to fly out on an elk moose combo hunt, and then he's going to rent a vehicle and drive it home with all his meat. Yeah, that would, uh, that's kind of the best of both worlds. So, yeah, at least he's not, he doesn't have the days on both ends of it, right? And yeah. he's never done the travel, so he said he, he's glad to do the travel on both ends. And especially if you can do it with two people, you can trade off the driving and just keep trucking along. And like I said, my guides here, they, they'll drive back and forth three or four times a year. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I'm hoping to do it just once in the very near future. Um, your prices, Mike, now they do not include um, the butchering. The butchering is separate to that? Yeah, yeah, the butchering is separate. And that's, you know, a, a moose A moose probably costs about $500, $600 to get a moose all processed. Okay. You know, a deer, you know, an elk quite a bit. Often the elk were taking out, we're deboning them and bringing out all that deboned meat. So then it, it's a lot cheaper to get that done or to get a deer done up might be $150, something like that. Eh? Yep. And then we, we deal with all the antlers, like we'll cut the antlers out. So there's, you know, just a skull plate and then take, uh, cake it all out. Most of the moose, we actually shoot right in a farm field and we just, uh, We'll look, we have a winch on our truck and we'll drive the truck right up to it, winch it right into the back of the truck's hole. We'll just got it out there, winch it in the truck, bring it back here, hang it on a hoist, skin it all out, cape it, everything. So it's just perfect spotless. That is, uh, I like the sounds of that. I'll definitely be looking at the Instagram later of, uh, some of the animals you guys have harvested cause they are, they are quality. And, uh, like I said, for you guys to all go check that out on Instagram. Um, yeah, and it really, it really is an advantage to me. It's, this is a real advantage, like for people to take advantage of. In that, you know, we normally run, we'll run almost a hundred hunters a year, including our bear hunters, and I'll have three really good, three or four guides and a chef here, and you know, my guides are out every day for. I think they'll be with me here 13, 14 weeks. Wow. So hunting all these different species, you know, they'll go from hunting mule deer with a bow, they'll go for, they do two weeks of scouting, then they go to hunt mule deer with a bow for two weeks, then they do a week of elk moose bow hunting, then a week of elk hunting, then they're off to moose, and then they get back to mule deer and white tail. So, like, me and my guys, we know our area so well, and we're used to running this whole machine of hunters coming through, and now, you know, you could be here with, just you and a buddy might be the only guys here for the whole week. And you got me and my best guide and a cook here. Yeah. So 
it's something that, it, to me, it really could be just a once-in-a-lifetime trip for you where you may never see these prices again unless we get another pandemic or this one goes on for years and years. Yeah. Well, I, I, I've certainly liked what I've heard and I will, I'll be posting about it for anyone that is looking to go on a, a, a trip, but, um, it may not work out to your desire. This could be your next best option. And there, uh, it sounds like a great facility that you have there, Mike. Did you have any questions for me or anything that you wanted uh, the listeners to hear? No, I, I don't think so. You know, it's, I guess it's always, I'm not sure what to feature. I'm not sure what people's kind of preconceived ideas of, of things are here as far as, you know, how their, their hunting is and all that. So I, I don't know even, too, if something like the whitetails, like how do you hunt whitetails at home? Um, so usually uh, at the beginning of spring, after we've all done our shed hunting craze for weeks, it, some people mostly – successful i am never successful i have to be the worst shed hunter on the planet um but after that usually uh i like to get some minerals out uh once the snow is completely gone and you know have these deer coming back around if they're not frequent visitors already um and then this year i've actually kind of minimized what i usually do so i've gone with a walk and toss food plot and i'm i'm trying to do everything on minimal so someone what i want is for someone that's just getting into hunting to see what they can do at a very minimal dollar um, not much effort and still be a successful hunter in the fall so that's that's been my approach this year uh most years i do a lot more work in the bush and let me tell you this year has been a very difficult year to stay out of the bush uh thankfully i've I've uh, enlarged my fishing game a lot into the the deep waters of fishing, which has been a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, usually, it, you know, it can be a ground blind hunt. It can be a tree stand hunt. Um, we do a lot of hunt over a lot of agriculture, if not all agriculture. Um, I do think I have a couple followers who hunt. Cam, when you when you say you do a walk and toss. Yep. So there's uh, Rackstacker. They offer a product. It's I think it's called Walk and Toss. Um, I could be wrong, um, but basically it's just it's it's growing like a, a vegetable, so to speak, in a certain area. I think the one that I have is for an acre lot. It okay. would do. Um, and basically, what I've done is I've gone around and I this year I did it fifty by twenty, so not a very large space at all. So. It could be a very it could be a very big ask of someone to go up to a farmer and say, "Hey, do you mind if I till up an acre or two of your land?" Do you know what I mean? So right. I've kind of done it where there's been a lot of unwanted growth, a lot of uh, foliage and stick pile up of you know things in the bush that have just kind of landed and broken down trees. So I've removed those and put up an area right where there's lots of sun. And now this food plot can grow and hopefully bring back more deer than I usually do see. So this weekend is actually the weekend I'm going to go out and pull some trail camera cards and see how we're making out. If we have some um, some visitors I would like to see in October October again. And uh, that that's about how my season goes. Yeah, it's interesting. Do you, do you round up it or anything before you put out the seed or no? I don't do round up. No, I just strictly rake. Um, if I've got the cultivator available to me, I will use that. Um, like I said, this year's been 
I've, I've done the very minimum and I've been adamant about doing it. It's been difficult, but that's how it's going to go this year. Oh, that's, that's cool though. Yeah. Yeah. Just to try something new. And I mean, there's so many resources available at our hands, uh, food plots, minerals, um, all kinds of tools to really enheighten the game. And I don't know, I think it's just great to see that it, it, it doesn't, you don't need all that stuff. You don't need to spend hundreds of dollars every year in order to be successful. Yeah. And, and here with us, I mean, I get some of my best white tail hunting on the public land. Okay. And, and I'll get some of the deer that will have the, the most daylight walking deer will be in some of that public land and where the deer densities are the lowest. Wow. Because I just find if I focus on those areas, you know, if you go where everybody's seeing deer, that's where everybody goes. Yeah. But if you go where there's not a lot of deer, a lot of people don't want to go there, especially if they have to drive through, say, farmland to get to a public land area or even a public land area that has more deer. If you go to often where there's lower densities, and I found some of my biggest bucks where there's the least amount of deer. And I, and I think often that helps the survival of big deer mm-hmm. because they don't have that many does to breed. Yep. And so their breeding is quickly done. They cruise around, they can't find any does, and the rut's over for them, and they, they end the rut in great health. Yeah, I, I can't speak too much on the uh, crownland and public land hunts that we do here for whitetail, uh, simply because I haven't done them. But when I go on uh, the crownland hunts for moose or uh, what happens to be bear, because usually we we all have bear tags as we go on our moose adventures. Um, you know, it depends when you go. It can be bow hunting is generally a very quiet week where you may run into. Um, you know, we can sometimes travel up to an hour and a half down one logging road um, and run into one other vehicle or run into nobody. And then you could do weeks as well where there's the rifle hunt. And as we like to call it, we generally see the orange army come out. So there's just that many people. Um, So maybe whitetail is the same. Um, I do have some, some listeners that are whitetail hunters on crown land. So I could definitely follow up with them and find out more about that, but I don't know too much on the crown land hunting, to be honest. Okay. Uh, yeah. Just interesting. Yeah. Anyways. But yeah. I don't know. I can't think of any uh, other questions too much. I hope it's been informative enough for people. I mean, if anybody has any questions, they can certainly fire any questions off to me and love to have a conversation with anybody and, and, uh, see if I can give them the right hunt for them. Yeah, I appreciate you reaching out to me, Mike. And uh, I think for all the listeners, this is this is a great way to enlighten the the slow four or five months we've had to the start of this year. And um, you know, if you're looking to get out, please go ahead and check out Mike's Outfitting via Instagram, Facebook, and get in touch with Mike. I will make all of that contact info available for everyone. And uh, I hope if you do book with Mike, you're very successful. So thank you, Mike, for joining me today. And uh, this won't be the last time we we chat for sure. Okay, you're welcome. Thanks, Ken. Okay, Okay. thank you. There you have it. If you're looking to get out on a hunt very soon, something of with high success rate, uh, I think this is a a great way to spend some money if uh, and and learn really. Um, You can kind of keep it local to staying in Canada and still get out in the outdoors and enjoy. So 
go ahead check out Mike on Instagram. Uh, he's got some some awesome photos, and we're gonna continue to talk here for probably quite a while on share some more stories. As always, thank you guys for listening, and we will see you guys next time. Thank you.